Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Well, amen. Thank you, Mixed Ensemble. Wonderful reminder. Fear not, I am with thee. Take your Bibles, please, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We are uh, in a series uh, called, called to be saints. That is, we are called as believers to be separated into God's holy purposes, and that's really the theme of 1 Corinthians. And if you're turning there, I just want to remind you that God has, in this wonderful church setting with all of its troubles, reminds us that we are to live a life that's different, reflective of His grace and His glory, even in a very difficult time and place. We entitled this message, The Advantages of Singleness in the Face of Rising Adversity. That's a long title. Or, Marriage, Singleness, and the Big Picture. Before I read our text this morning, I want to read a poem uh, and then make an observation about what I call perhaps the... um, Uh, the weakness or the problem with marriage counseling in the church today. Here is the poem written by Alfred Kilmer. He says this, Whenever I walk to Suffern, along the eerie track, I go by a poor old farmhouse with its shingles broken and black. I suppose I've passed it a hundred times, but I always stop for a minute. And look at that old house, that tragic house, the house with nobody in it. If I had a lot of money and all my debts were paid, I'd put a gang of men to work with a brush, a saw, a spade. I'd buy that place. I'd fix it up the way it used to be. I'd find some people who wanted a home and I'd give it to them for free. So whenever I go to suffer along that eerie track, I never go by that empty house without stopping and looking back. It hurts me to look at the crumbling roof and the shutters falling apart, for I can't help thinking the poor old house is a house with a broken heart. Now, doesn't that just make you shed a tear? I mean, really. Uh, Just the emotion of walking past a house with all the memories, perhaps when a happy little family lived there. Now, even though that may tug on your heartstring a little bit, I hope you don't live in a house quite like that, but even though it might tug on your heartstrings a little bit, So many uh, people are putting emphasis today, even within the church, that the main goal of your life is to have a happy little house, a happy home, a home where everybody loves each other. So counseling today is a lot about the home. We want our house to be happy. You've heard this little thing, happy wife, happy life. And it helps to uh, have three smiling kids with straight teeth, right? Uh, But that's not, I want to just give you a hint, that is not the focus of 1 Corinthians, the last half of 1 Corinthians 7. And not that Paul is any against a happy, happy house or a happy home or a happy marriage, but he's going to remind us that that is not the ultimate goal of life. It's great if your house is reflective, of course, of God's grace and you're living in a happy house, but Paul will establish there is a greater goal here. And really, uh, 
he's saying this. This is really the propositional statement. Time is short. And there is no human condition or relationship as important as your spiritual condition and relationship. This church at Corinth is uh, a little bit confused and fractious and divided and fighting over petty things and going to law with one another and struggling with their moral purity and their place in the world. And, And Paul is writing this letter as a response to many concerns that came to him while he is away from the church. And he writes this letter to straighten out, uh, really, the controversy surrounding singleness and marriage and our proper focus by giving us today an even greater priority in life than a happy home. Did you know, this might come as a surprise to you, that life isn't just about finding the perfect, ideal life partner and building that perfect home at the end of a cul-de-sac perhaps, and having those perfect children. Although much of literature in the church today is about having a perfect home or a nice home or a God-honoring, nothing wrong with that. But Paul will elevate our eyesight a little bit to realize that, did you know that even your marriage won't last forever? Did you know that? The Bible tells us that in heaven, There are no marriages. We are like the angels who are neither given or give themselves to marriage. And so even though it is an important institution by God, given to us for our joy and His glory, it isn't going to last forever. And so what Paul does at the end of chapter 7 is gives us an even greater perspective. It reminds us that no human condition or relationship is as important as our spiritual relationship with God. Life is short. All marriages someday will be dissolved in glory. So make your life count for Christ. That's the big picture. Uh, Time is fleeting. That's the main idea. So let's follow Paul's threefold advice to all of us about the urgency of putting the eternal above even great priorities here on earth. Follow as I read. We'll read. Uh, we got a, a little bit of a biblical terrain and text to cover today, but let's begin reading in uh, chapter 7 and verse 17. You follow as I read, but as God has distributed or assigned to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, again, he's talking about singleness and marriage and even about cases of divorce as we've looking, hearkening back to the last time we looked into this wonderful chapter. As God has assigned to us our position in life, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. Paul is casting a big net. This is what I'm telling all y'all. All right, I don't know if he's a southerner or not. Is any man called being circumcised or Jew? Let him not become uncircumcised or Gentile. Is anybody, is anybody called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, Paul reminds us. The Mosaic Code really doesn't save anyone at all. It never did. But it ought to bring us to Christ. And uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Verse 20, So let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou being called a servant or a slave? Care not for it. Don't be anxious about that. But if thou mayest be made free, that's great. Use it rather. 
For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free. Spiritually speaking, you're free in Christ. Likewise, also, he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Verse 23, you're bought with a price, be not the servants of men. Uh, Brethren, let every man, wherein he is called, therein abide with God. Now concerning virgins or the unmarried, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment. Now Paul again isn't speaking out on a limb without the spirits guiding him. We know that from the past as we've studied this. He's saying, this is my God-directed opinion. It's one and the same as the Lord's. As one that obtained the mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that, that, it, that it is good for the present distress, I say, it is good for a man so to be, unmarried. Verse 27, art thou bound to wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. Marriage is great, it's wonderful. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, and I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. And it's interesting, these are some verses that are hard to understand. They that weep as though they wept not. They that rejoice as though they rejoiced not. They that buy as though they were possessed, as though they possessed not. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness or anxiety. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. So we're really taking a look at three ideas or three principles that Paul will share with us at the balance of chapter 7. And I I would just say this as we begin, that it is God's normal or typical plan, general plan, for most folks to be married. And uh, I am one is a great proponent of marriage. I think it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And I'm glad I got married, and I would do it again only sooner to the same girl, of course. And I'm thankful, so thankful for God's prescription, His institution, and ordination of marriage in the garden as a place God designed, of course, context of marriage for great partnership, procreation, pleasure, and a picture of God's grace and love to the church. What a great thing. I want to go on record (laughs) this morning as saying that because I don't want you to get the wrong uh, opinion. Paul will make a case for singleness. It's just that I have noticed in the church, sometimes those who are single are kind of seen as outcasts or something's not quite right with you. So we've got to get you married. And Paul will make a clear case for the fact there are great advantages to being single. And the principles we're going to look at this morning is the time is short, so don't be consumed with changing your status. That would be your national, your social, your vocational or marital status. Secondly, because time is short, Don't be overly consumed with temporal things. And then, because time is short, explain, parents, explain the benefits of singleness to your children as an option that's, of course, a wonderful and, in some cases, beneficial 
op- uh, option. Now, let me ask you by way of just review, how many of you can remember one of the four types of marriages that in this culture, it's important when you study a passage of Scripture to understand the context. Paul was dealing with at least four kinds of marriages in the church. They were getting saved out of these backgrounds and coming to church. One was more traditional. I'll take the easy one. With rings that were exchanged as signets or signs, there were vows exchanged, and there were witnesses and an official or an officiant that was there. It's kind of the same idea that we enjoy today when you go to a wedding ceremony. That was one of the four kinds of marriage. Can anybody think of the others? There was common law. If you were married a year, that kind of became the understanding then that you were married to that partner. What else? Well, slaves have what we call intent companions. I know it's not Sunday school hour, so I'm not listening for a response. But slaves were considered objects uh, like cattle or sheep or uh, a possession. And so the, slaves, the slave owners would allow slaves simply to cohabit without any real formal commitment, as that would likely be impossible. And they were moved hither and yon at the whim or will of the master, intent companions. And then, of course, there were arranged marriages. And that has bearing, of course, as we study 1 Corinthians 7, especially verses 36 and the ensuing verses. So these types of marriages were present in the Corinthian church. Not only that, there were also those coming to Christ who had all kinds of dysfunction in their past, right? They were coming out of the ritual prostitution trade and religions there, well-known in Corinth, and they were getting saved, coming with that kind of messed-up background. Some of them, multiple divorces, getting saved and coming to church. And Paul was uh, beset with questions. What are we to do? Should we divorce our unsaved partners, or should we stay in that situation? What should we do with the past? There is such a stigma to sexual immorality. Should we just avoid sex altogether? And all these questions came to Paul, and he had to sort it out for them. Kind of sounds like the church in our day, doesn't it? Well, beyond that, uh, there were in Corinth slaves, freedmen, masters, people of four marriage classes, divorcees, all kinds of those. Some were be, being abandoned because of their new of faith in Christ. That's the social context, the mess that was at Corinth, okay? And then we see that there was a, another mess. It was called religious persecution and adversity. In Sunday school this morning, where Brother Brian was uh, teaching, he was mentioning persecution around the world today in, in different places like Afghanistan and Pakistan and China and even to some extent in our country. But this was a unique situation. Christians who were considering marriage uh, had to understand that there was a good possibility that the person they married, either of the partners, could quickly be put to death because of their faith. They were in a situation where Nero, who would come to power in in just a few years, the Roman emperor perfected the art of torture, and his favorite target was the Christian church. Paul saw handwriting on the wall as he was writing this to these who were considering singleness or marriage. And Nero 
historians tell us, would sew up Christians in animal skins and feed them to wild dogs for sport. He would cover them in wax and pitch and use them as candles, the Christians, as candles in his, at his dinner parties, and he'd feed them to wild beasts just for the fun of it. In John 16 and 12, the Lord foresees this time as well, and he says this, The Lord said, The hour is coming, and it was now present, when you who are outcasts of the synagogues will be put to death, and whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God a service. That was the situation to which Paul addressed these folks. And Paul knew of this heart to kill Christians. He was a Christian killer in his former life, uh, his former time before he was saved. He was, for conscience' sake, uh, tracking down Christians, thinking it was something he was doing to please God. He was killing these Christians. The town treasurer at Corinth would later be put to death. His name was Erastus, the treasurer of Corinth, a convert, no doubt, of Paul, was martyred in Corinth. And so, even in our context today, as we consider our future, parents of marriageable age children, have to, we've often considered, I don't know how long peace will prevail in this country. But to think about this, not only was, as Paul says, uh, the time is short, verse 29, in terms of naturally speaking, uh, James would say, our life, chapter 4, is our life is but a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. Not only is your life short, but we have to think about in this context, there was a there was a 100% possibility that once you got married, that you would suffer persecution, and there's a high probability that one of the partners, if not both, would be put to death or severely tortured because of the faith. That has bearing, doesn't it, upon your decision to marry. Someone has said it's bad enough to die for your faith alone, but far worse to die leaving a watching family uncared for and a widow weeping alone. This was the historical setting in which Paul addresses these comments at the end of chapter number 7. I think it's important, just these three principles, because time is short, let's consider these things, because time is short, don't be overly concerned about changing your status. Look at verse 17 again. God has assigned or distributed to every man a certain calling in life. So, in this, again, this tawdry setting, this immoral town, and the, the, the confusion that was a, really around marriage and what a proper marriage was. But as God has distributed to every man, and we're talking about especially the status of single or married, divorced, and such as that, He's saying, let, let, let that person think first of all about just being settled in the status that they're in. And I ordain this in every church. Don't, don't look to move too quickly. And the meaning here is don't try to push the singles within the church to marry. They are not damaged goods. 
God has a wonderful gift that he gives to some called singleness. Or those who are married, don't push them to divorce. This was the case in the church. Or those that are Jews, to hide their Jewishness. That's what verse 18, 19 mean. Uh, There was a great, um, of course, there always has been a stigma against the Jews. And there were some ashamed of their cultural or national heritage. They were trying to, in fact, surgically change or uncircumcise in order to hide the fact that they were Jews. It was to them an embarrassment to have that cultural heritage. In some, verse 21, some slaves wanted to be out from under their masters, and they had heard Paul speaking about their freedoms in Christ spiritually, and so they were going home to their, to their masters. And did you know that in that culture, nearly one half of the population in Rome, the Roman Empire, were considered slaves? And so it was, they were going home chafing a little bit under the spiritual teaching, well, I'm free in Christ. I don't need to serve you. But remember what happened when Onesimus ran into Paul? Not Onesimus, right, uh, right, Onesimus, remember the runaway slave? The book of Philemon. Paul didn't just give him a high five and say, wait, what a great escape. <laughs> no, what did he do? After he got saved, he did what? He sent him back to his owner, Philemon, and says, listen, you need to go back and serve. You're out of compliance. And so... He's just telling us here that uh, whatever your status is, if you're, if you're in, a, in a marriage, stay there if at all possible. Verse 20, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. This is a, a thrice repeated principle. Don't be overly concerned about, now it's okay to improve, and there, there are times when God calls us the different settings and places, but you see it in verse 17. The Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk. S- stay there. Settle down. Make the best of it. Verse 20, there's the second occurrence of this principle. Stay in the same calling. And then verse 24, we see the wherein, therein principle. Brethren, let every man, wherein he is called, therein abide with God. If possible, stay faithful to the one you're married. Of course, it's possible to stay faithful, but if the one who is married to you is unfaithful, pray for a a restoration. Pray that God will restore the marriage. If all possible, don't seek a way out. So many folks today in tough situations often come to biblical counselors or pastors and, and say, all I want is you to let me know it's okay to leave. And Paul is saying, if at all possible, even in the mess that is Corinth, stay put. We all went out. We all want something better somewhere else, something else, someone else. And Paul is saying, God is wanting you to stay within the assignment God has given you. The world will change not by social revolution or reassignment, but by spiritual revolution regeneration. Use the place you are to just simply exude and exemplify the glory. You're not in the best of marriages. I understand that. You're not in the best of places. I understand that. But God is saying through the Apostle Paul, do your best to bloom where you are. You ever hear that? Bloom where you're planted. Three times he repeats, repeats the principle. Just 
be who you are, the best person, the best version of that. Be where you are, and where you are, be all there. Put your heart in it. Do you have an average job? Make it the best job it can be. Do you have an average house? Make it as clean and as cute as possible. Do you have a mediocre marriage? No hands raised, please. Put your heart into it. What about a so-so church? Well, brighten that corner where you are. Show up on time. Volunteer to do something for God. Get out of the critic's corner and just put your heart into ministry. Volunteer. Be on time. Be all there. Give your heart to making where you are the best place it can be. Talk to a man who was just a boy, really, just out of college, and I asked him, how many jobs have you had? Again, he was only out of college a couple. I said, I've had 30 jobs. And, uh, and I said, well, what are you looking for? He says, I don't know. He said, I just don't know. I said, well, how will you know when you find it? You know what I mean? Just wherever you are, be settled and just give your heart to that place. Are you unhappy? Chances are it's because you're not content. And you know why you're not content? Chances are you've told yourself you deserve a better, fill in the blank, a better place, a better job, person, position. My question to you is this, this morning, according to the Bible, why not just be a better person? Be a better Christian. Make the best of what God has given you. Do you know that if you just bring your smile to church, it would help me out a lot? If you would just bring your heart to the calling of God where you are now, it would make it such a wonderful place. If you would just, ladies, sing a little bit while your hands are in that soap suds in the kitchen, it'll make your kitchen come to life. I'm in the ministry today because of a singing mother. I am. She just loved to sing while she was in the kitchen. And I just knew her faith was real. Uh, if you just whistled while you worked a little bit, and it sounds like kind of a positive message, doesn't it? But if you counted your blessings instead of your bruises all the time, your marriage would be better. And Paul is saying, just be thankful for what God has given you instead of always looking to change your status or place or job or church. If I had, well, you say this, I do too sometimes. If I just had a better whatever, boss or marriage, if I just had a, a wife or a husband, and I, this is what we, they were saying at Corinth. They were always looking for something. If we just had Apollos here, if we just had Peter here, if we just had this or that, and here I like three times Paul is saying, don't look to change your status because time is short. Don't be overly concerned with changing your status. Just, and there is a, did you know there is a story behind, some of you don't even know what that song is all, brighten the corner, I won't try to sing it for you. Brighten the corner where you are. There's a wonderful hymn story behind that. This gal who had a tremendous voice and a tremendous prospect singing uh, even before large audiences decided because she had an ailing mother to simply stay home and take care of her mother during the very 
the best years of this gal's life, she took care of her mom. And that song came out of that. I'm just going to brighten the corner where I am. Number two, not only because of time is short, uh, be, don't be overly concerned with your status, just bloom where you're planted. Secondly, because time is short, don't be overly concerned with temporal things. Don't be over, overly concerned with temporal things. Let's look at verse 25. Now concerning the unmarried or virgins, and in this context he's referring to both unmarried men and ladies, I have no commandment of the Lord. In other words, he's saying there's not a preferential status, married or single, but yet I give my judgment as one that has obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. The Lord's given me grace to write these words to you, and they are from His heart. I suppose, verse 26, that this is good. Why? For the present distress. And what did we say? What do we mean by that? Well, because of the context in Corinth, and Paul knew it was not only something that would come down the road through Nero, the persecution, it was already there. Because of this present tribulation that comes because of the adversaries of the gospel, I say that it is good for a man so to be, unmarried. And so he's saying that it be careful, he says, about seeking a wife in this particular cultural uh, adversarial climate. Art thou bound to a wife? Don't seek to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? And we talked about that earlier. There were some that were abandoned. Some believers were abandoned by their spouses because of their faith. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. It's okay to be married. And if a virgin marry, she's not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have, I think this is interesting, such shall have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you. I would spare you from this trouble that comes with marriage. You wonder if Paul had a rough marriage. We don't know much about Paul's background, do we? But it could have been that he had a tough, and maybe his own wife left him because of his change of heart, his transformation. We do not know. We do think that he was potentially married because of his attachment to the Sanhedrin, and that was a requirement. We know nothing of Paul's wife. But he says, I know enough about marriage that it brings trouble. And he says to those who are unmarried, this isn't a popular message with the single crowd. I know that. But he says there, there is some trouble to marriage. And it's a common, natural, universal idea that, that we, we get married when we're single and, uh, and life is just a bed of roses. It's, everything is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And I mentioned that it is and ought to be. But Paul is not varnish or, or varnishing the truth concerning unmarrieds. He says, it's good, verse 26, it's good if they can contain in this context in Corinth, he addresses both men and women here, because of the present distress, let me tell you, he says, this is why it's good. Uh, he says, I would uh, encourage you to think about singleness. Now, I told you as we began the message what the big picture is. God is preparing us for an eternity with Him. Sometimes it's so hard when we're young to think about anything except marriage and the right one, and that's all 
fine and good, but God wants us to think about the big picture. That's what Paul is trying to do here. Because of the present distress, the difficulty of maintaining marriage while running away from Roman soldiers, it's tough. He says, I want this reality to settle in, that it could be a very difficult thing. And then again, verse 28, certainly he says, it's not a sin to marriage, marry, but we know that they're going to you're going to have some trouble when you get married. Raise your hand. No, don't do that. It can be that marriage can make life a little tough, tougher. Trouble. The word is calypsis, pressure or under pressure. He's saying marriage brings some additional pressures to life. If, by the way, you're single and have this idealistic view of marriage, Paul would like to burst that bubble a bit. If you thought marriage would uh, simply solve all of your problems, it doesn't. Uh, can I hear an amen? No, don't, don't worry. It just, in fact, Paul says it brings additional trouble. How so, Paul? Well, pressures come. Now there's not just one opinion yours, there's two. There are two. Have you noticed that if you're married uh, ever had opinion problems? Just, yes, you can nod your head this way. There are now two mouths to feed, and then three and four. That number can increase. There are children in the dynamic to train and discipline. Kids take time, and they take money, <laughs> and they take it. Are they wonderful and worth it? Yes, yes, they are. You've noticed this, that you can't live on love alone. There's all these things we say before we get married. Ah, well, love will cover it. We'll just live on love. Well, the bills come every month, sometimes twice a month. And marriage doesn't necessarily end loneliness either. Singleness, Paul says, has its troubles, but marriage pressures far exceed the pressures of singleness. Uh, there is this a little joke about the guy who's been married 35 years, and he says, oh, have you enjoyed it? Somebody asked him, do you enjoy it? They've been the best three years of my life. <laughs> it can be troublesome. Opposites attract and then attack. Togetherness can be tough. Marriage is one of the earthly things that will not persist into glory. Paul just wants us to remember, even marriage, as sweet as it can be, should not be an over-preoccupation. The idea of verses 29 and 30, I say this, brethren, because the time is short, it remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as they that rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it for the fashion of this world is passing away. And he said, I would, I would have you without overburdening you, without too much anxiety, care. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, has more time for devotion to Christ, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married... The reality and responsibility of life is just the reality is you're going to care for the things that are of the world. You'll have to. Raising children, taking them to the dentist, the ballpark, taking care of them when they get sick, 
These are all things that come when there's children in a household to manage. That's just the reality, verse 33. So Paul is saying because of the shortness of life, the brevity of it, we are to guard our passions and possessions. That's the idea of verse 30. Not only is marriage temporal in a sense, it's just for this life. The pattern is one man, one woman for life. That's the, that's the institution. But it is just a lifelong thing. And there's eternity beyond that. And there's a relationship with God that fosters devotion and Christian service. And so verse 30, there's not only marriage at stake here. He's saying, the, what do you think Paul means when he says, they that weep as though, as though they wept not. They that rejo- Does Paul want you to be a stoic? Is Paul saying, you just need to give it all up and just put on a straight face and go through life with kind of adjusting your halo? After all, we're called to be saints. What do you think he means by this? We are not to let our love of this world inflame our hearts, our emotion, our passions, and our pleasures. We are not to become, because of our our hobbies... And our earthly pleasures, including marriage, to be blind to God's calling to work on our relationship with Him. That's the big picture. And so, verse 31, they that use, or a good word there with, they that deal in this world, and that's anybody who's got business in this world, as not abusing it or being abused by it. For the fashion of this world is passing away. It's important to understand time is short, and we're not to be so wrapped up in deal-making or marriage or care for others or good things in life that we forget the big picture is that God has called us to foster relationship with Him. Well, thirdly, I want you to understand this. Time is short, so explain the benefits of singleness. I think it may fall on deaf ears, but Paul addresses fathers. And he does that because in the culture of that day, there were a great majority of the fathers that had a great say in who their children married. In fact, they had the right, the patriarchal right, to really say, you're going to marry that person and you're not going, and this is my decision, not yours. Now, things were evolving a little bit, and uh, there was a greater listening component to fathers that really had a care for their daughters, but here's what he says, beginning verse 34, and let's wrap up with this idea. There's a difference between a, a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman, or a virgin daughter, the unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in body and spirit. We've kind of This is still part of the idea of from the preceding verses. But she that is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And that's as it should be. Much time must be devoted to the marriage. Verse 35, And this I speak for your own profit, for your own good, not that I might trip you up or cast a snare upon you, uh, but that for, for that which is comely or proper, that ye might attend upon the Lord without distraction. He is saying singleness is great because it allows more time for service, more time for devotion to the Lord. And life is short. That's the meaning of life. Then he goes on to say this. 
But if any think that he behaveth himself, and these are, especially the King James, hard verses to understand. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely, unseemly toward his virgin daughter, you could add that for meaning's sake, if, he, if she pass the flower of her age and needs so require, let him do what he will. He sinneth not. Let them marry. She comes to him and says, Dad, I'd like to get married. I'm the marrying kind. And he understands that he has the right in that society and time and, and, and age to make the final decision whether she'll be married or not. And he understands her heart is to be married. He's saying, let that gal get married. That's not wrong. That's not sinful. Even though there's pressures, we talked about those, the pressures of marriage, married life and the pressure of tribulation from persecution. If she believes she needs to be married... Let her be married. And then, verse 37, Nevertheless, speaking again to the Father, Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, believing that it's best for his daughter to stay single in the context of Corinth, and having no necessity, that means that she doesn't see a, com- a compulsion or a compunction, a constraint, a desire, or even a suitor that's available if, if there's no necessity for that girl to be married and he has the power over his will and has so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin daughter single, he does well. So Paul is saying, listen, it's okay. It's okay to keep your young daughters single if the Lord would will it and they are, have the gift of singleness. So then, verse 38, he that giveth her in marriage doeth well. But he that, interesting, isn't it, what he's going to say, hang on. But he that giveth her not in marriage doeth, we don't want to hear that, better. The reason he says that in context has everything to do with the difficulty, the pressures Uh, around them, the present, verse 26, the present distress. He being the father may keep his daughter in a state of virginity or celibacy, singleness, uh, because of the inherent dangers and pressures of marriage life. And he says that is preferable. I, this week, just read another missionary letter or report from Elsa Ramirez. She is one of the missionaries that we support. She's been single all her life. She visited here a few years ago. We ate lunch with her. Precious lady, I would say guessing in her 50s, perhaps mid-50s by now, maybe a little older than that. And she told us at the table, yes, I'd love to get married. (laughs) But I know God has given me this status, this singleness as my gift from Him. And you I just delight in reading her missionary reports because that gal is so involved in missionary work where she is in Mexico. It's amazing. The lives she's touching, the hearts and kids and young couples that she's discipling, even the marriages that she's been able to save that were on the rocks and the blessing musically she is to the church. She is full-time, all-out, engaged in ministry without the distraction of 
a family life. And in some regards, she has far outpaced many who are married on the mission field simply because of this status she has as a single woman. And I'm so proud of her for the many, many lives she has touched, the children spiritually that she has because of her commitment to Christ. So time is short. So explain the benefits of singleness to, you, to your children. You know, um, I wonder how much our perspective will change on, on this, perhaps 100 years into heaven. When we think about the time, you think about the big picture, okay? The big picture. The time you spent in your life dealing with family issues. You know, the broken tooth. This usually happens the same week. You know, you have the broken tooth, and then you have the doctor's appointments, and then you have the kid that, uh, you know, he, he gashed himself when he fell off the dining room table, and you have three or four things going on. Moms, dads, do you know that that takes a lot of life and your time? You think about 100 years into glory, and some of the singles were sitting around who really, I don't know if we're going to be sitting around, but, uh, but talking about perhaps what life was like and just the rewards of extra time spent in the spiritual pursuits. Uh, they have, in some ways, as Paul would mention in 1 Corinthians 7, he's not taking sides. He's just saying, I want you to consider, because time is short, the benefits, the big picture of a life devoted uh, full-time without the distractions of family life to the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.